A man lost his job. He was caught stealing at work, so he's terminated. And now he's going to be prosecuted. So it's going to be a very bad mark on his record. He's going to have to live with guilt and shame. It's going to be hard to face his wife and his family and his friends, and even worse, his God. So why did he do it? Why did he steal? He didn't need to. He had everything he needed and more. So why did he do it? He goes and talks to his pastor. I don't know why I did it. I didn't need to. I don't know why I stole. Well, has money been important to you? I suppose. Would you say that money has been one of the most important things in your life? The thing that you think about all the time? The thing that you strive after uh, your main goal? I suppose. So, has money become a god? A girl was planning on moving in with her boyfriend. Her Christian friend urged her not to. So, they went and talked about it. And a friend uh, tried explaining to her all the different ways that this decision was going to cost her. Ruining maybe any future plans for marriage. Harming her relationship with her family. But worse, harming her relationship with her Lord. And the girl said... I'm willing to pay that price. So her friend said, okay, so if you're willing to pay that price, if you're willing to ignore what God has to say about it, then it seems like you're turning this relationship into a God. What do you mean by that? Well, a God is something that we sacrifice for. A God is something that we live for. And so you have... You have God on one side saying one thing. You have your boyfriend on the other side saying something else. And you're choosing your boyfriend over God. The Bible calls that idolatry. Martin Luther said that you can't break the other nine commandments without breaking the first one. I think sometimes we, you know, hopefully you know the Ten Commandments. I think sometimes that we feel that we have that first commandment nailed. You shall have no other gods. We're going to be reading it soon. I think we often think we have that one nailed because we don't have any golden statues um, set up in our house anywhere. And maybe not. But what if your gods look so ordinary and normal to you that you don't even recognize them as gods? And what if your worship your worshiping doesn't look like you bowing down on a, on a pillow and lighting candles and having some kind of a seance in your house. But what if your worshiping looks a little bit more like something that you do with your imagination or with your checkbook or your credit card or with your search engine or with your calendar? Every sin that you struggle with Every discouragement that you deal with, that, that lack of purpose that you live with is because of idolatry. All those things are symptoms. 
They are not the true illness. The true illness underneath, the, the thing that, that makes all of those other things happen, the true illness is idolatry. In other words, something other than God has become your God. Idolatry isn't just one of many sins. It is the one huge sin that all the other ones come from. Everything that you are struggling with right now, every sin that is getting the better of you right now, every, everything that is getting in the way between, uh, between your walk with God, underneath it, underneath all that, is a false God. And until that false God is dethroned and the Lord God takes his rightful place in your heart, you're you're not going to have any kind of victory. You're not going to have any kind of the, the life that God wants you to have. It's, it's not going to go the way that he has designed for you. Idolatry isn't just an issue. Idolatry is the issue. It is, there are all kinds of symptoms. We, we come in here with, with pain. We come in here with discouragement with things that are beating us up, with things that we give into all the time, all of those things are symptoms. But the problem underneath always is idolatry. First commandment. Letting something else other than God be our God. And so, that is why God said this. I'll point you to our text. Maybe you've heard this before from Exodus 20. Here it is out of Scripture. The first commandment as God is laying out the commandments. So Exodus 20, verses 2 to 6. All of that, the reason that, that, that every sin comes from this first sin is why God made such a big deal here. And so he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to do a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God had just rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. And, and if, you, if you think back in Egypt, the, the Israelites, God's people, they were familiar with lots of gods because Egypt had all kinds of gods. They had gods for everything. So for the last 400 years, God's people, the children of Israel, had been surrounded by false gods of every uh, type, shape, or, or um, thing that you can imagine. But God was not going to be the most powerful of many other gods. Okay? He is the only God. And so when God said, you shall have no other gods before me, don't, don't, don't misinterpret what that word before means. He wasn't saying... Um, so here's your list of gods, and, and I don't want to be number five on the list or number ten. You shall have none before me. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, you shall have no other gods in my presence, in my face is what that word means. I don't want any gods in my face, in my presence whatsoever, because there are none. I am it. 
Life is not going to work for you and me until everyone's sitting around the control room or the board room or the whatever, the, the, where the control room of our heart is fired because the Lord is God and no one else can even apply for that position. God wants to be the only God in our hearts and lives. He is because He is the only God. And God isn't saying this because He's insecure. He's saying this because He is the one who created the world and He's the only one who knows how it works. And He's saying this because like He delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, He's the only one who can save us and deliver us and rescue us. Now, you know, we live in a I don't think probably most of your friends have like statues set up in, in their homes and we, maybe we live in the kind of society where people uh, think that, well, if people don't worship many gods today, they don't worship any god today. But actually, there, we are really, there are just as many false gods surrounding us today as we're surrounding the Israelites right there in Egypt. You know, we, we might not worship the, the god of the crops or the god of the hunt or the god of war the God of romance or all those different gods they had. But we do have bank accounts, cars, homes, entertainment, sports. Now, there's nothing wrong with pleasure. There's nothing wrong with sex and marriage. There's nothing wrong with... um, entertainment there's nothing wrong with money or power god gave these things to us as gifts but the the instant something takes the place of god the moment something becomes an end in itself instead of something to thank god for it becomes an idol When something replaces God for the position of honor and glory in our heart, then it becomes our God. Now, sadly, while God was giving this very commandment to Moses, God's people were at the bottom of the mountain making a golden calf. Psalm 106, verses 19 to 21 Uh, speaks about it it says they made a calf and worshiped an idol cast from metal they exchanged their glory for an image of a bull which eats grass they forgot the god who saved them they traded the god who created them for something they created those silly Israelites. Uh, you heard as, as uh, Paul was reading the text from Isaiah, just the, the sarcasm there, right? The irony of what the guy, you know, he plants a tree, he grows it up, he chops it down, he, he starts making stuff out of it, he makes the fire to warm himself, and then the other half, uh, he builds an idol and bows down to worship. Like, he's, he's getting mocked for that. There's, there's sarcasm there in the Bible because it's ridiculous. They, they bow down, like while God is giving commandment number one, they're at the bottom of the mountain making stuff out of gold, making a calf, a picture of a calf that eats grass, that God, all that God created, and they're worshiping it. It is ridiculous. Those silly Israelites, right? We do it too. We do it too. We 
trade God. We replace God with statues that we build. That house that you constantly upgrade. That, uh, that, that promotion with the corner office. That uh, the acceptance of a certain group of people that, that you want to be accepted by. That team that wins a championship. Uh, a body that is fit, a financial portfolio that is healthy. So, so wait a minute. Am I saying that we can take any issue, anything, anything that someone is devoted to, no matter how good it might be, and make it out to be idolatry? Absolutely. Anything at all, anything at all can become an idol when it becomes a substitute for God in our lives. Anything at all can become an idol. Anything, uh, especially anything that you struggle with, shows, very obvious, shows idolatry underneath. So if you have a food addiction, why? If you have, uh, if, if, if you have a, a hot button issues that always get you upset, why? If, if you, um, if you have uh, if you have any kind of, I guess, addiction, something that, that you just can't shake, why? If you have, uh, let's say, if you're going to go out shopping today, even though you're drowning in debt, why? If, if, uh, if you're going to spend countless hours of time that you don't have uh, fixing on that car or redecorating your house or whatever, why? Um, what do you complain about? This is another one. What do you complain about? If you constantly complain about your financial struggles, maybe money has become too important to you. If you constantly complain about your sex life to your spouse, maybe sexual pleasure has become a god. If you constantly complain about uh, lack of respect in the workplace, maybe what other people think about you matters more than it should. If you constantly complain about how your team is doing, maybe sports has become a god. The things that we complain about reveal what really matter to us. And it, what we complain about really shows what has power over us. So that's the, these things you struggle with, things you complain about. Also, the things that you, uh, the, the places you go for comfort. So something is going wrong in your life, you, you got this problem, and not, you need to go somewhere for comfort, where do you go? You go to God or do you go to something else? You know, we could go through a list. Um, so the things that we go to for comfort reveal uh, what, what has control over our hearts. And, and so do, uh, what do you daydream about? Okay, you're, you're riding the train. You, you actually have 15 minutes somewhere, half an hour. You let your mind wander a little bit. What are you thinking about? What do you daydream about? So these things will help maybe us realize and understand what gods truly are sitting in the driver's seat in our hearts. The, the series that we're looking at, we're going to be looking, we've divided up, we're going to be looking at the gods of power. So money, success, achievement. We're going to be looking at the gods of, of pleasure. So food, sex, entertainment. And we're going to look at the gods of, of uh, love. So romance, family, and of course, the big one, ourselves. Um, 
Michael Jordan was over at a, a friend's house once. He, write, he wrote about this in a book he wrote. So he tells a story, but he was over at a friend's house and uh, it was, it was, they were going to go out and it was cold outside. He didn't have a coat, so he asked his friend if he could borrow a coat. And he went into his friend's closet. When he opened up the closet, there was a bunch of Puma stuff hanging in there. Now, Jordan, who's so affiliated with Nike, which is Puma's rival, grabbed all the Puma stuff out of the closet. True story. Brings it out to the hallway, throws it on the ground, goes into his friend's kitchen, grabs a butcher knife, and comes out and cuts all the clothes up into tiny shreds. And then he says, well, it's Michael Jordan. He has... I think a lot of money. So then he says, um, tomorrow my Nike agent will replace all that stuff with brand new Nike stuff. But just don't let me ever see you wearing anything but Nike ever again. No riding the fence. Yikes. It's a little bit extreme. I'm not saying, I would not do that and I wouldn't say anyone should do that. Um, but, But I just... It, it, that odd story in its, in its own oddness, it, does, it gives us a picture, doesn't it, of, of the kind of idol-smashing total commitment, the kind of commitment that, that God wants from us. And I, and I like this line, I like this phrase that I, that I heard, um, God doesn't want us to just make room in our closet for him. He wants the closet to himself. He wants the closet to himself. We live in a generation that doesn't like commitment. Right? We, that, that's the big thing today. We, we want to we have, uh, we wanna, we wanna ha- have an open relationship. Right? We, we want to keep our options open. That's the phrase you hear. That's the phrase we use. We want to keep our options open. Right? God isn't interested in having any relationship other than one that is exclusive and completely committed. God isn't interested in an open relationship with you. God is not going to consider uh, letting you uh, love someone or something in the same way that you love him. He is a jealous God. Now, God has all these great names that uh, tell us what he's like and tell us um, great things he's done for us. They're they're great names. Mighty God, King of Kings, Savior, Redeemer. But have you ever heard this name of God's? This is uh, from Exodus chapter 34, verse 14. Um, Do not worship any other God for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. How many times have you begun a prayer to God with the words, Dear Jealous? We don't, we don't pull that name out when we're making banners in church. We don't throw that name up there, you know, along with King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jealous. We don't use that a lot. I think we, we have a very negative connotation with the word Jealous. We think of the, the soccer player who's jealous of his teammates scoring all the goals, right? We think of, we think of the possessive high school boyfriend who um, goes nuts every time his girlfriend even makes eye contact with another guy. That's what we think of the word jealous, usually. So how could God be jealous? He has everything. But what about your heart? Does he have your heart? God is jealous for your heart. Not because he's petty and insecure, but because he loves you. 
God has such a huge problem with the first commandment, with, with idolatry, because he loves you too much to share you. God's jealousy is, is good. It's a good thing. It's a, I'm, I'm, wiser and, and more, I'm wiser than you and know what's best for you kind of thing. It's a good thing. Um, people, we people, are like the dog who drinks water out of the toilet bowl and thinks, it doesn't get any better than this. We, we could be enjoying the living water that Christ offers. But we so often, we so often choose terribly inferior substitutes for that. And God, who knows what the living water is and who knows all these wonderful things that he has in mind for us, it grieves him to see these ridiculous Choices that we make. Terrible choices that we make. It grieves him. It makes him jealous in the, in, the, in the most righteous way, in the most loving way. It makes him jealous. Um, you know, we think of jealous, we think of, think of a wife. Think, if, if a wife doesn't get jealous and angry when another woman is, is seriously flirting with her husband, to me it looks like she, she doesn't really... She's not really committed to that marriage relationship. Right? Um, outrage, pain, anguish would be the kind of appropriate responses to such a deep violation of a, a marriage covenant. The prophet Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel describes how idolatry would feel like to God by comparing it to a cheating spouse. And, and really, when you look, you, you look all the way through Scripture. All through Scripture, it compares, like, our relationship with God as one of a, one of a, we're the bride, he's the groom. This marriage relationship, we're looking forward to this marriage with God. And, and so, as well, all the way through the Bible, then our, our idolatry, or where we, where we cheat on him, idolatry and adultery are almost used interchangeably. It's, it's being unfaithful. And that's, that's how we're, we're described. And I don't think I've said it yet, but, but just read the, the, all the way through the Bible. It, it, it is always speaking about idolatry, especially the Old Testament. Um, just read through any one of those books, and that is always the issue all the way through. Okay? So, so this, this marriage relationship is how we're described. Ezekiel describes it being like a cheating spouse. Um, the pain... The pain of a spouse cheating on another spouse got to be one of the, the most terrible, the most hard, kind of awful human experiences. The, the ultimate betrayal. But yet that is how we're described when we, um, when we trade in or when we, uh, when we don't choose God, when we reject God's love for a cheap substitute, toilet water. Um, that's how we're being described. We are the cheating spouse. Spouse. God is the betrayed lover. Um, imagine, I, I've, I've done this before, but, but it, it works here. So imagine that I went on a date with another woman and you, you were at the restaurant, you saw me there and you came up to me and said, what is Dawn going to say about this? 
And I told you, well, I love her too. I've taken her out plenty of times. In fact, I spend an hour with her every Sunday. You're going to be like, yeah, okay, you go with that. <laughs> and so, so I come home, and is she going to greet me at the door and say, well, hi, honey, did you have a nice time in your date tonight? No, she's not. Uh, that's not how it's going to go. Any, in fact, anything other than, than anger and jealousy would, make, would show me that she doesn't even care, right? So that's ridiculous. But then, if, do, do we agree that's ridiculous? I want to make sure you agree with me. Do we agree that's ridiculous? Okay. Then, why do we think that it's fine for us to date other things and to date other people? Why do we think that that's going to be fine with God? And I'm talking about the spiritual relationship now. If we think that that story is ridiculous, and it is, then why do we think it's f- that we can date other things and flirt with other things, and that's going to be fine with God? He is going to be jealous. He says so. He is going to be upset. He says so. All right? Not because he's petty, not because he's insecure, but because he loves us. He, he, he is going to be jealous. And, but, but here's the thing. Isn't it amazing to think isn't it amazing to think that he will be upset? Isn't it amazing to think that he does love us that much? I, I, like if I did that with my wife, I know she'd be upset. And I'm, I'm glad about that because she should be. Because that means she loves me. That means our relationship is important to her. But, but that's, that's a human being. Isn't it amazing that the God of the universe gets jealous over our love? That God could love us like that? I mean, to me, that is the amazing thing here. That God could love us like that. That... Um, he isn't happy to be one of the gods we worship. He, he isn't re- interested in dating. Um, he isn't interested in an open relationship. He wants us to love him with all of our heart and soul and strength and mind. To thank him for the way that he loved us. So, no matter what God is winning the battle for your heart right now, you can be sure of this one thing. The true God is not going to give up without a fight. He is going to keep, he wants the only place in your heart and he's going to keep coming after you. He's going to keep pursuing you with his love for the rest of your lives. And that love is what makes him different than any other idol or any other God that we have ever created or made up in this world. This God came down from heaven. He came down from all that glory, became a helpless baby to pursue us with his love. This God even while uh, we people were ignoring him and rejecting him and putting him to death, kept expressing this love to us, kept sharing the good news of his forgiveness and eternal life with us. This God has never given up on trying to win your heart. And and we will never be able to understand how, how, uh, how much he hates idolatry until we understand his jealousy. And we'll never be able to understand his jealousy without understanding his love. The, the Bible is really a love letter. But it, it's written in, in the format of a story that tells us all of what God has done for us. The, the Old Testament tells of our foolish, self-destructive rebellion 
as God's people. How he kept offering us gift after gift, wonderful thing after wonderful thing. But we kept choosing idols instead of these amazing opportunities that he was offering us. But then in the most profound expression of love, God sends his son. He, he was willing to put everything on the line to love us and to win us back. That's how that verse in Isaiah 44 ends too, telling us about that. He was willing to give up everything to win us back. God had to make a choice. And that choice was between your heart and the life of his son. And you know what he chose. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. In Charles Dickens' novel, David Copperfield, there's a poor family who lives down by the sea in an old abandoned boat. And the, the father is a retired fisherman. And he, he had adopted his niece, Emily. And he loved her like a daughter. And, and he wanted nothing more for her than to be happy and to be married to a fine young man. But Emily is taken, I don't know if you've read it, but Emily is taken in by uh, a, a fast-talking, handsome guy who promises to marry her and show her the world if she would only run away with him that night. And so she does. But he never marries her. He leaves her hanging. And she's all alone. And now, this is the mid-1800s, so her name is ruined, and now the name of her family is ruined. She couldn't even think about going home. And she ends up on the streets in all kinds of prostitution and the, the worst things you can imagine. But none of this matters whatsoever to her adoptive father, all right, it makes no difference to him. He, he takes every penny he has and he leaves to search the entire world for his niece. If it takes the rest of his life, he's going to search every dark corner and alley in Europe because of his love for her no matter what she has done. Years later, when he's old and gray, he finally finds her and he brings her home. She couldn't even believe that he had been searching for her. She couldn't believe that someone could love her like that. But he's just happy because his child is home. Jesus told a, a similar story, didn't he? About a prodigal son and a father who never stopped loving him. Friends, that is our God. That is our jealous, loving insistent God. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, God kept coming for us and he is still coming for you and I. God hates anything that might become an obstacle between us and him. He hates anything that might block our view of him. Anything that might keep us from hearing his voice. God hates any false gods or idols that would take his place of someone who would love us the way we need to be loved. He wants you, not just some of you. He's jealous for your whole heart. Amen.
And the peace of God which transcends all understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.